I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and I write for The New York Times and The New Yorker. I'm Terry Tichat, drama critic for The Wall Street Journal. And I'm Peter Marks, theater critic for The Washington Post. Welcome to episode 53 of Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. Well, folks, here we are again. Um, (laughs) um, So in some ways, uh, very little has changed Mm. since we last uh, spoke, which I think was in June. But honestly, time has become a very weird thing um, for me. Yes. Uh, So I think Mm. it was in June. I think it was this year. Uh, (laughs) It was this year. um, So... Since we last spoke, uh, American theaters are still not open. Uh, clearly, there's bigger concerns, but we're a theater podcast. American theaters are still not open, and we're watching theater from home on our computers, on our on our couches, which is now we discover how TV critics live, and it's 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 pretty comfortable, I've got to say, in, in that regard. Uh, but at the same time, a lot has changed. Uh, the COVID crisis has only deepened in many parts of the U.S. It is worse now in a way than it was a month ago. Uh, and that means for purposes, again, uh, that is very, very unclear when theaters will reopen. And we have some isolated initiatives. Uh, but really, there, there's no new momentum of, of any kind in the U.S. At the same time, we're watching theaters in Europe uh, and elsewhere in the world showing signs of life and reopening and announcing real-life shows uh, for August or September. And I, I I don't know about you guys, but I am feeling really like a little depressed by this all. Um, I am too. And, you know, it hit me the other day. One of the things I miss most is the sound of other people's laughter. Uh, hmm. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of things about live theater that matter, but... To be in a room with other people who are laughing at what you're laughing at, uh, it, it's it's hard to laugh when you're by yourself, and uh, which is why it's nice to watch uh, webcasts where an audience is audible. Uh, that's kind of a comforting sound. Uh, that's the difference between uh, actual uh, performances that are captured in Zoom things. Uh, which are wonderful in their own right, but there's no audience anywhere. It's just all of us out at the end of our separate tethers. Do you feel like um, I do? I, I mean, I, I, Pete Wells was writing recently in the Times. He's their restaurant critic. Um, he was reviewing Veselka, which is a beloved East Village uh, standby uh, for years and years. And he wrote about it affectionately. And he wrote in his review uh, that it, this wasn't because they had just, I guess, were open for, you know, outdoor dining. And he said, you know, this wasn't a time for criticism. Uh, he was writing a very kind of gentle uh, piece. And I wonder if you all feel the same way I do, which is it does feel a uh, very almost like a betrayal if you're watching something and you're, you know, is it a moment where you're hesitant to really let loose on something that you're finding deficient? That's a really good question. Um, I choose the webcasts that I write about on Fridays in the journal, and I don't go out of my way to see shows that I don't think are going to be good. 
I, I, it's, it, I, I feel just as he does. I mean, if there are problems, I am going to say so. But, you know, there are shows that you suspect are going to be trouble. And I just don't write about them. I, to the extent that I can cover uh, theater on the web, I want to cover shows that I think people would like to see and, and will be delighted or elevated or whatever. That's, that's how I feel about it. Elizabeth, do you factor in, when you're reviewing something online, the fact that you know this is not the optimal way to see it, um, and that therefore you pull a punch or two, you feel that it's because you're not getting the full uh, exposure to what you would normally do as a critic and, and how you would absorb a show, you're a little, are you more reluctant to, uh, to point out the, well, the flaws? I, I, honestly, I haven't done much criticism in the past few months, I've mostly done features and reported stuff. Um, I've done a few for the New Yorker, so it's a, it's very short reviews. And the last one I did actually, actually not the last one, the one before, uh, I felt was a fairly mixed to negative review, but uh, and it was for the latest mm. Apple Play, which I did not care for, and and mm-hmm. but. I don't feel like I pull punches because this play is written specifically for Zoom. So it's not like it's losing anything in translation since it's meant for that particular medium. So, and I felt, and obviously, I mean, you, you judge it for what it is and, and how it's presented and what the objective is. And I felt the play was just not saying very much. Um, and I feel like he's yeah. stretching at this point, because I felt like this was a play that really had very little to say. Um, and I don't feel like I pulled any punches there, but, but honestly, I haven't had really the opportunity to review, to be critical about like that many shows. So I don't think I'm the best here to answer that. What about you? Peter? Well, well, I, I, I actually, that's a good question. I, I will say in response to what, uh, what Elizabeth just said, I had the opposite uh, response to the Nelson play, which was called And So We Come Forth. Thanks. Is that what it was called? <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's still running. And so we come forth. I actually thought it was th- that it was a very uh, subtle piece of theater that was really getting at this sort of this 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 moment when we really are all lost and questioning and the questions we ask are. Are, are, are all questions that you ask yourself in the dark of night in a room with nobody else there. And I thought that, that you know, and that's where we're all living. But that said, so I just wanted to put in a word for it. It's still running online on the public theater, not on the public theater website. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not running there. But, you know, I think that what what's um, uh, when I'm writing a review now, there's a part of me that feels a little bit like I am loosening the string between readers and uh, the theater if I'm too critical. Like I'm so in, I'm so aware of trying to hold on to that lifeline connecting, you know, I feel like I am a connective thread between what came before and what's coming after. I'm not the only one. You guys are. We all are in our own ways, even people online who just write about the theater in any form. But I do have this sense of this other kind of sense of responsibility to be more understanding of what these companies are going through. Yeah. 
Well, this is what I always feel about regional theater when I cover it, is I don't go to uh, San Antonio uh, looking for something to pan. Mm. I don't choose shows and companies unless I think there's a, a pretty good chance that you know, they're going to be right. seeing. Right. And that's, right. The, that's the same feeling that I'm bringing uh, to my webcast reviews, I think. Yeah, I yeah. I I agree mostly. I mean, on in the the general lines, I I I agree. But I'll tell you what's what's frustrating to me is that there's so little, relatively little, to write about. And at this point, mm. month into this situation, it is stunning to me that we, we're still there. I mean, there's there's more initiatives, but there's just not that many. And what's stunning to me is that we're not seeing any of the big players doing anything they're trying to get ready you know i mean we're hearing about uh, at, at the same time all the major regionals are canceling or rescheduling their seasons through the end of 2020 right but they're also talking about their plans to go online steppenwolf is uh, the court in chicago is uh, i mean everybody got caught flat-footed by this and uh well, they're, okay, they're they're getting. They're all having to learn something new. They're getting ready for what? Because I see people in England are doing stuff already, like in front of empty theaters, for instance. Why is the old Vic doing? They just announced this play with Andrew Scott that is going to do solo in front of a an empty house. There's nothing on that stature happening here. Like it's not like this started at the same time for them too. Why isn't this happening here? And coincidentally, as as we're talking about this, this is thing. I was looking at my Twitter when waiting to get on um, for this call and people are like, why, why is the old Vic doing this? Where are, and, and a, a publicist, a, a very good publicist specializes in the off of Broadway scene here in New York was saying, well, the, uh, what he's saying is that, well, the, the plays are ready. People are ready. What he's saying is that plays have been written, actors are ready, and there's even some money, but actors' equity is unwilling to negotiate fair terms with nonprofit companies. Like, Yes, that is correct. They're having trouble with equity, uh, and there's a lot of stuff out there that we could be seeing. Uh, the Mint Theater here in New York, it turns out, I, nobody knew this, but they've been doing broadcast-ready archival uh, two-camera, three-camera uh recordings of their shows for the last four or five years since 2013 and 2013 yeah, yeah yeah and that's that's a big deal and that's wonderful and i'm sure there's a lot of other stuff in the pipeline but there is the problem of equities not being willing to to move into this new world where online broadcast webcast is a central part of the theatrical ecology. There, and they're going to have to figure this out. There's another problem, which is there's a real division in the theater world about even philosophically and practically about whether this is a good way to go. Yeah. You know, whether, yeah. you know, this is happening. A lot of places are being advised to hold off because they're going to need, you know, if they start devoting re resources to, 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 to the web and then find like at the end of the year, they got no money when we are thinking about uh, reopening and they're caught short when they have to open again big. And I don't mean big in terms of, you know, right. you know, massive audiences, but they've got to put on something that's going to capture the imagination. Yeah. And that's, you know, that puts a lot of uh, decision makers on the fence. 
you know, how how big do you go into digital? And, you know, is it really a market? I think some people are finding it is and others are finding, you know, it's a pretty uh, empty uh uh, you know, financially, it's it doesn't have you know great potential. So there's a lot of factors that are uh, at play here. Yeah, I, I well, people are going to have to recognize that the theater world is profoundly dis, dis, disoriented and will continue to be so. And we know from polls that people are not willing to go back to theaters of any kind. They're extremely hesitant about this. Uh, companies that don't seek to create an online presence are not going to be able to continue their relationships with mm-hmm, these people. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, well, this is a great sort of segue, I think, <laughs> into our mailbag, which we're going to dig in. Which we're going to dig into today. It's there's a backlog, and uh, but but I know that the first questioner, this very astute questioner, we've got lined up. This is a really. Start. This is one of our regular listeners. Uh, yes. It's a, well, I'm not. A, this is not only a listener. This is a person who's really contributed in an important way to this podcast. <laughs> so I, so I salute this person for their diligence and their insight, and the challenges that they present to. To, to the people on this podcast. So uh, we'll move yes, on. Yes, Mr. Marks. So the first question is actually from Peter Marks. <laughs> <laughs> who, oh, my God. I know. We're a little silly. Who writes? I am supposed to go back to the theater next week to see a play for the first time since early March. An indoor play, by the way. Actors' Equity has told its members not to participate in it. Am I crazy for going? <laughs> Well, dear Mr. Marks, yes. perhaps you could tell us the specifics of the situation. Yes. Uh, that would help. Uh, so American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, is presenting an Othello and a Twelfth Night in rep in a pair of, on a pair of stages, one there indoor space, socially distanced and super cleaned, and an outdoor space, and they're going to rotate. Both shows will be both indoors and outdoors. Um, they're, and they're selling spaces... Uh, at the outdoor uh, uh, on the lawn of a hotel, where you actually four seats, four chairs, sort of like a lawn situation at a at an at a summer uh, festival. Uh, you'll watch from there, and uh, the Stanton and its surrounding county, Augusta County, in in sort of northwestern Virginia, have had very low incidence of COVID, and they have felt. They've put together with a, a sta- uh, what's called a Safe Start program in consultation with a infectious disease specialist at their local hospital, a plan. They think the protocols that'll make it possible to put on shows. So sure. I was invited. I've been following along how this company has been doing. Asked, Actors Equity has put the, sh- the company on a do not work list. Whoa, meaning, that's, uh, yeah. meaning meaning that their actors cannot work. And in fact, several actors with the company have resigned from Equity. In order to participate, whoa, um, yeah. So it's become it's a it's a flashpoint kind of situation. And of course, selfishly, my question is, I want to cover it because it's one of the first uh, theaters in the country, along with um, com- a couple in the Berkshires, Berkshire Berkshire Theater Festival, and I believe also there's another Barrington Stage. and Barrington Stage are opening up. But this seemed to me, you know, uh, I wanted to see how they fare. I want to see who shows up. And, but I'm, am I crazy for going? You know, I, I, no, you're not crazy. I've been in touch with these guys too. I reviewed their 
online stuff and I've, I've, they are very serious about keeping a clean, safe environment. And I think that equity, frankly, is showing its short-sightedness in sanctioning them. Uh, this is just an example of their not understanding what needs to happen. I, I mean, I, I think if I were closer, I'd go to Stanton too, and I would feel comfortable about it because I know what they're up to, and they're they're not going to do this unless they have a very, very good expectation of being able to perform safely, to take care of themselves, and to take care of the audiences. Wear a mask, but uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to wear a mask for sure. Um, uh, I They also have had their, – their actors have actually quarantined with each other uh, right. in, in, for, a, for a considerable period – and have sort of taken a signed a pact, not a signed a pact, but taken a, a vow basically to not expose each other to anybody else or themselves to anybody except their family members who've been sort of kept also isolated to a degree. So there's some comfort there too. But I wonder if Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you, 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 I, I am inclined to go. I mean, I, I just feel like it's my responsibility at this point, right, uh, to go. I, but do you think? I, I probably would do the same. If I was in your uh, in your shoes, I um, I I, honestly, I don't know. I'm kind of glad I don't have to make that choice actually, um, right? Because it's too far for yeah. me, and I uh, you know I don't have the means of transportation, and uh, I haven't really I've gone I haven't gone anywhere since March. Uh, mostly I've done day trips, uh, but that's it. So I. I'm I'm glad I'm glad I, I don't have to make that choice, but I'm going to come back to that thing that I was saying. I think there is. I think for now, I would be more comfortable with people doing live in front of live webcasts, live mm-hmm. streams in front of an empty house the way they're starting to do it in England. I don't understand mm. why we're seeing more of that, and that's really a it's a it's a real question. I don't have any insights or in, any inside information as to what's happening here. I believe, yes, it's probably has to do with unions dragging their heels. And I am overall pro-union. I don't understand here why there can't be more of a case-by-case basis. This blanket things, uh, I'm told that they are revising their agreements. Uh, The agreements that they put in place in March Actors' equity, at least, is is in the process of revising them. I don't know what that's going right. to mean. Well, uh, but you know the the clock. I mean, we, I, Broadway is not coming back until the spring of next year. I think that's pretty obvious by now. Yeah, it's, they're saying January. It's at not the earliest. Be, yes, at the earliest. So really, and that's true of most of the major regions. Right. are also so they're not going to get you restarted. You can put your head spring. in the sand and refuse to invest. I'm with Terry on that. You can put your head in the sand and refuse to invest in some kind of online programming, like serious online programming, not just chats with the artistic director. You know, I, I no, not that. You can yeah do that and see your audience, the audience that you've spent years cultivating and building, you spend years building these relationships, just, yeah, let, let it go for over a year. That is crazy to me. For, yes. It's just nuts. It is so short-sighted. It is so crazy that this industry right now, I, 
Actually, this is linking to our next question. <laughs> uh, right. So yeah. maybe we should right. go into that. Um, go ahead. Uh, we, 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 we heard from a listener and he, he I guess he was alarmed uh, by, uh, by something we, we, we were talking about on the, next, the previous podcast. So Darren Sexto uh, responds uh, to a recent episode and he wrote, I too am intrigued by the Zoom theater that I've experienced in this past couple of months. But this, this is the new normal chat was the most soul destroying theater conversation that I've heard in recent weeks. And I can't believe that the three of you have so quickly thrown in the towel on the hope that one day a live audience that the artist can hear, see, and sense will again prove itself to be one of the most inspiring elements of live theatrical storytelling. I would still give all of you five stars. I would say even give us 10 stars over and over <laughs> again, as I think you're all terrific, but you truly just broke my admittedly weak at this theatrical moment heart with this episode. And I think I this don't think we said anything that apocalyptic, you know, I mean, we, we said and what we're saying. The now. thing is, it is apocalyptic for the theater. It is a terrible situation. And I think it's even worse now than it was a month ago. I really do think so. I've been really very depressed about, about it all. So I'm sorry. I don't have any like more like, you know, uplifting words right now, but as long as well, we're not seeing well, these initiatives and the people being more proactive at trying to come up with solutions that are not theater as it was, because theater as it was is not going to happen for at least another year. So, and it's not going to be Zoom for the rest of our lives. Right, right. What the new, what I think, what we were getting at when we used the phrase "the new normal." was that online content was going to have to become part of the theatrical package uh, because uh, the pandemic uh, is going to be with us for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And we will get theaters open. There will be live performances again. But I hope we're learning something from the online content that we're seeing that can be taken into this new world after the companies open up again. That's really important to me. Uh, if we're not learning something from this, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I think everyone's right. Everyone's right. The um, we had a we had a a conversation not too long ago with Jeremy Ween, right? Um, and he was sort of the Pied Piper of the new this new world that we were all kind of entranced by because we were so excited by his excitement, his energy, and I do think that there is. I think we're all groping. And we and, and we're very reactive at this moment to, to to what we hear and what we're seeing. And, you know, we're and as Elizabeth pointed out, well, both of you have alluded in different ways to this. But, you know, we're not getting tremendous amounts of inspiration from this industry. It's not coming together. It doesn't feel like to figure these things out. As as Terry points out, you know, equity has its own sort of agenda. Uh, as Elizabeth says, you know, a lot of companies are sort of standing there going, huh? And so there's no there's no cohesive way out of this. It, it does feel yes, of course, there's going to be some kind of uh, live proscenium based theater again. But I do think it's going to be have changed also by this experience of what everybody's going through now. Um, I just wrote about New York Theater Workshop which is producing what I'm calling an unseason. They're not even telling you what you subscribe to. You pay between 10 uh, and $50 a month 
They are they are hiring. A, they have commissioned a bunch of artists, about twenty six of them, given them twenty five hundred bucks each, and told them to create something. You know, it's it's very free open free form, and they're asking subscribers to pay anywhere from ten to fifty bucks a month for certain levels of access to these artists and what they're doing. Some of it will be online. Some of it may be socially distanced performance in a in a theater. It, it, it's at this point un, it's the unknown, and you're paying essentially for the right to first dibs on no on the brains of these 26 instigators who also who range from Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights to performance artists to actors or all devising things of various kinds some are plays and some are you know going to just be sort of freeform pieces so i do think that i don't think this is just a holding pattern idea i think we're going to we're going to see something new evolve out of new models out of this by the most adventurous and interesting companies. They, you can't. Yes. It's, that's where we're headed. So, you know, so, Darren, don't despair. Um, you know, we're, and we're certainly interested in seeing things on stage again. <laughs> but we're also cognizant of the fact that something in the in the terrain is shifting. I, uh, I also that, yeah, I also want to point out quickly someone like jeremy for instance uh i don't want to put words in his mouth but i he's i'm pretty sure he's well aware that what he's doing with play per view online is a stopgap he is not he met, you know thinking for a second that this will replace theater like traditional theater and in fact he had told us that one of his his dream is to be a, a brick and mortar producer you know like this is just mm-hmm. he's making right now he's using his lemons really well I would say, but yes. you know, he's, he does what he has to do. And I think he's been very uh, inventive and very proactive. Nobody thinks this is like a long-term thing. This is not replacing theater. It's just something just, that we're making do with. He just yes. produced, he just something produ- better than panel discussion. Exactly. Right. He just did a, a, he just did a reading of heroes of the fourth turning, a Pulitzer prize finalist by Will Arbery. Uh, he just reported online that it, uh, it had over 2000 viewers for the live, uh, watching of it and, and brought in, uh, over 20,000 bucks. So, I mean, there is, there is a market of some size that you can, you can create. He's created this from nothing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the great, tradition of you know theater how it how you conjure theater how you make theater work yeah. so i don't think that that's i think that's something that's not going to disappear just because theaters are back and what, what i think something that's exciting to me is i think for the time being and that time could be <laughs> months or years uh we, we're going to see um the disappearance obviously of what i call destination theater like event theater and we're going to see people really sticking more to what's on offer in their communities. And we're going to see maybe, and I, I hope so, more like micro initiatives on a very local level that I think could inspire a lot of people because you could do it anywhere and then you can do it for your community. People are not traveling anywhere or you can beam it out. So it'll be at the same time, very, very micro and very local but open to the whole world because you could do a broadcast and have from anywhere. I can do it from my living room and have people in Singapore watch it. Uh, it, it that I find that very exciting, actually. And people, you know, now can watch that Andrew Scott play that I was referring to earlier from here. 
there's only going to be five performances. Otherwise, we'd have had to go to London. Now we could watch it from here very easily. And it's not the same as being in the same room. No, it's not. But maybe it's a little better than nothing. I well, listen. It's a lot, it's a lot better than yeah. Nothing. I have not. I have not. Sh- I have not shaken another person's hand in almost six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have. I have. I am learning a new way to greet people and to be with people, or even around people, when I'm venturing out. Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be a time in the net. I don't think it's I think it's take a really long time for people to want to sit next to each other Mm -hmm. in a theater. I'm sorry. I think we're and the longer this drags out, the harder it is for people to imagine themselves back in that situation with your elbow on someone else's with a sharing a seat elbow thing, rest, armrest with someone you don't know. I I just think that's going to be a huge obstacle. And so. I do think that thinking about other ways to congregate uh, is going to be paramount, and and we're not. So so Darren, you know, we're you're you're going to be you're going to it's going to be harder to find those opportunities uh, in 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 the coming in the in the One in the coming years. One thing we're going to see is a transformation of theater architecture. Yes, mm. and and existing companies are going to have to reconfigure their. Their seating areas, they're already thinking about it now. Uh, everything is going to be changed by this right down to where the seats are and how many there are. You know, what you have to charge in order to make it work. Uh, Terry, did you see the um, the Wilma Theater design, which is like a funnel, yes. a funnel of yeah. like of individual sort of like uh, seating around, you know, looking down yeah. into the space. I thought that was, you know, interesting. It's one possibility, you know, like yeah, everybody in smart thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's survival thinking. You know, it's it's yes. it, the, the panopticon as a as theater. It's a, <laughs> it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going yeah. to call it the doom and boom. The doom and boom <laughs> model. Part of it is horrible and part of it is very hopeful. Doom yeah. and boom. T.M. Vincentelli. Um, and it's important for us all to side with the hope. Yes, yes. Uh, should, uh, Terry, should we go on to the to John Ferreira's question? Um, I think yes. that's an a interesting reader, one. A reader named John Ferreira, has, uh, he's writing about the dreaded sentence, our audience won't understand which he says has been, he's been hearing throughout his career. And he writes, I wanted to see or do a production of William Hoffman's As Is in the late 80s with one community group. I got pushback from the board members using those phrases. I've always found those phrases insulting to their audience and potential audience. Not enough experience is something I've been told in recent years, as if my 40-odd years of doing theater was meaningless. In the case of one small independent group, Experience was not what they were looking for. I've seen several of their productions, and they sucked. <laughs> what they really want is to work with people as if they were selecting them from a dating app. <laughs> Compatibility squashes any talent or ability. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, this is part of how uh, regional theater works, uh, as I've, I've learned from being involved with it, is that these companies, they want to work with people they know, with people with whom they have worked, uh, people that they know are reliable, people that they know are safe. And uh, they tend to be, some of them, rather careful about the repertory. Uh, it's interesting that he mentions Hoffman's As Is, a play that is urgently, urgently needful of a major revival. 
in the old days, if, if a regional company did that, I would have flown to see it. I would have traveled to see it. We need it in New York. Um, audiences, if you've built up a relationship with your audience, they'll go where you want to take them. And uh, this is something that uh, boards in particular often just don't understand. I, I was going to yeah. say the thing about the, uh, Terry, what you just said about people wanting to work with people they know, that is one of the kind of ingrained dynamics that means that it's so hard to make institutions more diverse in terms of the casting, but not just casting. It's really about like, oh, I'm going to hire that uh, set designer because I right. know his or her work. They're familiar. Well, who has a leg up? It's, it's usually white people. So that is that is really a, a reflex of like working with what you know that is really causing problem in kind of renewing. Uh, I, I think that happens in a lot of industries, actually. I, I don't think that's unique to theater. Um, I don't have any experience no. putting on a show, but I assume that is probably a kind of, yeah, like an ingrained dynamic that is really causing problems. It's built into union hiring as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the original reason why uh, back in the 30s, the Federal Theater Project uh, was able to give that leg up to back-of-house people, black designers, uh, not just the ones on the stage, but people who could never uh, get a chance because uh, somebody's uh, brother-in-law uh, was on the hiring list. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And that problem has not gone away, not at all. Well, it's interesting. The, I, I agree. I, I think that you know this. There, there is this this uh, built-in bias. This idea of you know what our audience wants or what they will understand is is the kind of old thinking that is going to doom the theater ultimately. Because if your audience won't understand. Get a new goddamn audience. I mean, you know, I mean, it's your your part of your problem is part of your problem is, you know, that you're if you're speaking to an audience that you know expects, you know, you to repeat what you did before, uh, then you're you're not really in it. You're in the business of nostalgia. You're not really in the business of creating art. And uh, we this is what this world is this revolution that's that we're also like living through that's going to change uh, virtually everything about how theater, what theaters think of as what they need to do in terms of uh, presenting plays and musicals to their communities and who should come see it, uh, really has to do with, you know, the artists telling the audience what they need to see rather than worrying about the audience telling artists what they want to see. Because right. because it's the artist. If you hire a, 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 a range of, I got a, a letter from a irate white guy who, you know, because Arena Stage announced a, their half season to come is, is no, there was not a single white Anglo playwright or uh, or director, as he put it, uh, in there among the 10 people who are going to be uh, directing or writing their plays. And, you know, I couldn't I said my mouth was sort of a gap. I, I, and I wrote back to him and I said, you know, Thank you for for uh, for uh, for giving the argument for the absolute necessity of more uh, uh, inclusion of black of people of color as playwrights and directors than I ever could have uh, written myself. Thank you. I mean, it, you know, that's what we're really talking about here, yeah. um, and on a larger scale. Exactly. I mean, right. it's a bigger issue. It's a bigger 
question. It, it just gets my blood boiling when I, I, I think about these things. Um, but I think we should, we need to have a, even a, a bigger, and maybe we need to have somebody from equity on to talk about some of these issues. Do you know, I mean, not just equity, but also, you know, people who can address some of the things we're talking about here. That yes. would be interesting. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Um, should we take one more question? All right. Let's do one more. All right. Uh, Theo Chen wrote, on the episode with Chris Jones, uh, he's the uh, theater critic for the Chicago Tribune, you discussed the issue of writers from other disciplines writing plays. I think that's what he means when he says playwriting. Um, Elizabeth, you say you believe it's one of the biggest problems with American theater right now. Could you take some time to discuss and expand on this? Why? And what can be done, done about it? Um, I honestly don't remember saying that. <laughs> I... <laughs> I probably I probably was in a K hole, um, but um, I I may have been maybe this is a reference I know I have railed against MFA playwriting uh, which I think often produce cookie cutter uh, writing uh, but I I don't recall saying that and I'm not sure if anything what we're seeing is the reverse is playwrights going to work in TV. Uh, that seems to be the reverse effect. And I can't blame them uh, because why wouldn't they want to make a living? <laughs> Playwriting does not pay at all unless, you know, you're... TV is the great subsidizer for American It is. And more, and old, more power to TV. Thank God for like... Absolutely. Thank God for peak, peak television. It's really... it's keep, <laughs> If one thing has kept theater afloat in America, it's television. Uh and yes, th thank God for it, um, because most good playwrights or the ones who have a passion for theater eventually come back. They'll do, you know, they write a play, they do their TV shows and they write a play and they do their play. I mean, unfortunately, many don't do that, but I think enough do. Um, yeah. And I'm all in favor of that. You know, if my memory serves, I, I believe that back in the 60s, the Ford Foundation set up a program to it underwrite uh, writers not from the opera business writing libretti. Robert Lowell was one mm. of the people who was part of this. And um, that was really interesting. It's, it is hard to write a play. It is radically different from writing a novel. Uh, and most novelists, in fact, don't write very good plays uh, when they try. Uh, but it would certainly be useful for an institution to make it possible for a writer, a novelist who was interested in grappling with this to spend a year with a theater company, mm -hmm. watching how it works, learning how plays are put together, uh, finding out what is happening on both sides of the proceeding. Um, and I think it would be great. Uh, there are all kinds of people out there who could write interesting plays if they simply knew how the medium works. Yeah, you know, and it was interesting to, you know, this is interesting the way this conversation is doubling back on, on sort of earlier points. Uh, you know, we were talking, when Elizabeth was talking about her sort of surprise, her shock at the lack of sort of initiative that was being taken with in this brave new world that suddenly been th we've been thrust into, you know, People like Richard Nelson, I mean, he's basically producing his own plays. It's now on, you know, the the, the, the latest play is on the Apple Family's play, yep. plays.com. It's not with the public you know, anymore. Right. He's doing it himself. Paula Vogel, 
is curating a series of readings of plays that sort of like nobody noticed before. Mm -hmm. And she's lending her heft, her dramatic sort of reputation to bringing those to people online because that's the only way anybody will produce them at this point. So yeah. there, so, you know, there is a way, you know, a, a, a backward way to talk about the, the fact that this, this new format that we're all sort of like forced to be a part of, uh, we were compelled to is could actually spur, you know, playwrights in interesting ways. People who know how to create plays, mm -hmm. even if they've got the limitations of Zoom or whatever, um, uh, you, you, whatever form it took. Did anybody? If you, uh, you're, I know you're going to talk about the line, uh, Elizabeth. So I won't uh, go there. But I do think that that there is the um, the there is great potential in playwrights coming together on this on this and figuring out how to produce themselves uh, yeah. and, and writing for this right now. It's mm -hmm. interesting because mm -hmm. it's like the indie rock moment of, of theater. There's no infrastructure. You can do readings at least for very, there's no overhead or very little. I mean, the overhead is like, ideally, yes, you would pay the actors, you would pay the people to participate. But I think, uh, I think it's actually easier to monetize in a very uh, do-it-yourself way, very direct. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier to monetize projects, like grassroots projects, and it's easier to get them off the ground. And enterprising people, I, I, I really hope we're going to see some of that. And I, I, I really I can't wait for that. I'm very excited about mm. that. Again, side with the hope in the situation. It is The situation is dire in this country, in the world, but... Uh, there is also opportunity in people. They must seize it. We must take advantage of the of the problems of this moment and make things different. Mm -hmm. Build from the ground up. Yep. Mm. So okay, well, um, uh, you know, there there are more questions in the bag, which will you know we'll just keep the bag filling uh, with uh, with fascinating. And I, that Peter Marks just had a great kickoff question he's who is that guy that oh guy. I, it was i i found that so nourishing <laughs> um anyway so let's go quickly over uh some, some <laughs> elizabeth elizabeth you want to talk about a show you've watched oh yes um i i watched uh the line which is a new show by jessica blank and eric jensen uh they wrote it together based on interviews they conducted with uh uh medical frontline workers from New York. Uh, and they're really, they're very, uh, they know their way around docu theater. They know about the format because they uh, did the exonerated and they did cold uh, country at uh, the public, uh, which actually the run of which was interrupted, well, ended by, by, by COVID. And I really like cold country. Um, so the line, uh, yeah, it's a series of interviews uh, that are uh, performed by a really a great cast. Um, Santino Fontana, Lauren Toussaint, who's to me was just fantastic. Uh, Alison Pill, John Ortiz, Nicholas Pinnock and, and, and others. Um, it's 70 minutes long, just around there. Uh, and it's basically a series of monologue done in Zoom, but very, very well acted, uh, very smartly directed. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, I was just bawling at the end. I cried so much at the end of that show. Uh, I found it really mm. emotional. Plus 
there's a, a great song by Amy Mann at the end. She's, she always slays me, so that, that'll do it alone. Me, me too. Oh my God. Uh, what a great it, song. It wasn't Amy actually, Mann. you know, what, here's the, I, I liked it too. Uh, it wasn't uh, Zoom. I it was actually, Zoom. no, it wasn't Zoom. It was just a series of edited, you know, uh, films in each of those homes. It right, really, it was not you know, mine. The, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, but, but, uh, uh, I, I also thought, didn't you think, you know, I thought the editing of the, 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 the transitions were so good in that, yes. uh, that show. They went boom, boom, boom. It really made a difference. It wasn't that, that lag time mm-hmm. that sometimes you, when you watch these things, they really seem to figure out, you know, people had to come in right at the right moment. I don't know how they did it, the but timing. it was really, they really, they really were on their marks. All yeah. those, all seven actors. It was great, and it's it's on it's on, and you can watch it on YouTube for free until August third. And that actually is is a public theater uh, production. Uh, I I absolutely love it. I, I thought it was very de- de- deceive- deceptively simple. Uh, you mm-hmm. think, oh, you know, they just talk to people and then they have actors say the transcripts. Not at all. The, the, the pacing of it. And as you said, the transitions it was very skillfully done. 70 minutes, which is pretty much, I think, as much as kind of like the sweet spot, I think, for, for a lot of, uh, for most online, uh, theater. Um, and actually an upside, I, I wrote about that. I mentioned that in my last, I've been doing this streaming roundups for, for the times and, one of the things I mentioned is that there's a lot of great actors right now who have nothing better to do. And, <laughs> oh, and yes. you can get amazing casts. Right. You right. can get amazing casts yeah. of people who necessarily would not do those projects. Uh, you, you get Julian Moore and Caitlin Deaver, I have to watch that one, uh, doing a reading for MCC. I, I don't think that Caitlin Deaver would have done a play, like necessarily. It was, it's great to 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 watch her with Julian Moore, you know, like we're saying like that if there's a silver lining, that to me is this opportunity to see these great actors just pinching in, you know, and, and, and just doing stuff. It's great. You can see Christine Baranski, Meryl Streep and Audrey McDonald sing the ladies who lunch, <laughs> uh, you know, like that, you know, that's, you know, it, <laughs> is, it just is doesn't still, happen. Is, is that still around? Is that still around? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just great. Um, so I, th- that really made my week. So, uh, Terry, is that, uh, what, what's your pick? Well, the thing that excited me the most in recent weeks, I'll look across the Atlantic to London for it. Uh, the, the National Theatre uh, has just wrapped up a program of running free videos every Friday up for a week on its National Theatre at Home webpage. They routinely make broadcast quality videos of their major productions. They're for simulcast. And they pulled some great stuff out of, oh, God, out of the, so good. The, and the thing that excited me most, because we don't see his work done here, they posted a 2016 revival of Terrence Radigan's The Deep Blue Sea. It's Radigan's masterpiece, uh, a play that is uh, apparently difficult for American audiences because it's about class and sexual obsession. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a perfect, perfect play of its kind. Uh, it was directed by Carrie Cracknell, and uh, the star was Helen McCrory, who gave a performance that apparently everybody, all the critics were talking about in London. And I have never had the opportunity to review a staging of The Deep Blue Sea. So here I get to see it in my home uh, with a live audience, a production that could not have been bettered of a major play that doesn't get done over here. 
And boy, was that ever the case for theatrical webcasting in a nutshell, right there. Uh, I, I just sat here uh, in my chair completely enthralled. Mm, that's great. Yeah, those national, actually the national theater is, is, I think they have one to go They're They're about to stop their, their, their webcasts, but those productions were so great. I've watched several and it, it was, they were so much fun. I really thought like, there's no way I'm going to watch another 12th night, but the national theater's 12th night with Tamsin Greg as Malvolia was yeah. so wonderful. What a wonderful yeah. production. Uh, I mean, yeah. they were all fantastic. Yeah. They're really. And, and I would add they're, my... They're wrapping up this week with Amadeus, I believe. Right. I saw that in London. Uh, I saw that production. Um, uh, and, but I my pick was also an NT Live production. I agree with Terry uh, that this... That they've almost convinced me that, you know, that film plays are, are you know, worthwhile. Uh, I saw... Uh, Lorraine Hansberry's Le Blanc mm. uh, done. Uh, I wanted to see that a yeah. lot. Yeah, it's it's a wonder. It's an interesting play. I mean, I think Raisin in the Sun is her is her masterpiece. But Le Blanc is a fascinating piece of theater, so ahead of its time, talking about colonialism and the connection, though uh, you know, of, of what's happening between white white people and black people in uh, in this unnamed African colony uh, in the '60s is exactly applicable to some of the things we're experiencing in this country today, weirdly. But I thought it was a it was really a brilliant production. And in fact, Yale Farber directed it, who's a she directed um, uh, Ms. Julie, the South African Miss Julie. She's very smart. Uh, she was going to produ- she was going to direct a production of Le Blanc at the Shakespeare Theatre Company uh, as a result. And that they're going to do it. It's, it's a little up in the air. But I thought that again was uh, another oh, example. I will travel to see that. Yeah, no yeah, question about it. When when Darren Darren Sexto when <laughs> the, when theaters are back up, you should come down to Washington and see the, the Le Blanc at Shakespeare Theater Company. Anyway, that was my choice. And I think that that just about does it for today. Um, it's been a very uh, it's been a lot of fun <laughs> talking talking to human beings I about know. the art form we love right. and that we're all seeing in isolation. Mm. I am Terry Teachout, and you've been listening to Three on the Aisle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. Our producer is the redoubtable Erica Wong. <laughs> Beautiful. Nice word. I'm Peter Marks. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Three on the Isle, spelled out, and write to us at threeontheisle at gmail.com. Please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear on future episodes. And please don't forget to leave a glowing review or rating on iTunes or Google Play. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and thank you, as always, uh, for listening. You know, we're, we're all in this together. There's really... We're, we're waiting. We're waiting for... Things to come back in one way or another. We're not sure what that way will be. I, I for one, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I, I'm trying to stay positive and say, like, s- something good will, will come out of this. I really hope so. Um, I, I've got to tell myself that. Anyway, we'll be with you again soon with masks on. 